Welcome to the Theology Mom Podcast, hosted by theologian Krista Bontrager. Each week, Krista provides practical teaching to help everyday Christians gain a deeper understanding of their faith. And now, here's Krista. received in the name of our country the bodies of four Marines who had died while on active duty. I said then that there is a special sadness that accompanies the death of a serviceman, for we're never quite good enough to them. Not really, we can't be, because what they gave us is beyond our powers to repay. And so when a serviceman dies, It's a tear in the fabric, a break in the hole, and all we can do is remember. It is, in a way, an odd thing to honor those who died in defense of our country, in defense of us, in wars far away. The imagination plays a trick. We see these soldiers in our mind as old and wise. We see them as something like the founding fathers, grave and gray-haired. Most of them were boys when they died, and they gave up two lives, the one they were living and the one they would have lived. When they died, they gave up their chance to be husbands and fathers and grandfathers. They gave up their chance to be revered old men. They gave up everything for our country, for us. We owe them a debt we can never repay. All we can do is remember them and what they did and why they had to be brave for us. of the Theology Mom podcast. I am live today, and that was just a little tribute from my husband and I uh, for to just to thank those families who have made such a great sacrifice so that we can even do things like a live stream and um, be able to protect our free speech here in America. Thank you so much to each and every family who and each and every soldier who's made that sacrifice for us. I am excited to bring you this teaching today. I am continuing to develop content related to issues raised by the TV series, The Chosen. And I honestly had no idea back in January when I um, made a couple posts related to The Chosen just how strong people had a lot of strong thoughts, a lot of strong opinions. And so I've been slowly um, addressing those comments over time with more complete teachings, as opposed to just writing a response with 120 characters. So there were a number of comments at that time expressing concerns about some of the actors on the show, The Chosen, being devout Roman Catholics. I think probably the most notable of those is Jonathan Rumi, who plays Jesus, is featured on the Hollow app, which is a popular Roman Catholic prayer app. And um, it encourages Catholics to pray, read their Bible, and learn more about their faith. And a lot of comments to the effect of you know, how can you like the chosen Jonathan Rumi is on the hollow on the hollow app praying the rosary. And I, I was like, yeah, that makes sense. He's a Catholic. So, OK, um, but I, I think that the I have the hollow app. I don't have the subscription, but I've downloaded it and looked at it. And a lot of it is helping Catholics read their Bibles and pray and learn more about their faith. There's some very fine podcasts on there. And I think that a lot of what um, the Hollow app is about is trying to, is a noble goal. Um, Rumi is featured on a lot of their social media ads promoting the the Hollow app. And also the actor on the show 
who plays John, is on the app. He reads the Gospel of John. The actress who put, portrays Mary Magdalene is also featured on the app. So I thought, well, this is this would be maybe an interesting opportunity to talk about Catholicism a bit more. It's not a subject that I've touched on very much on my channel. And uh, I thought, you know, maybe we could do it as a two-part teaching series. Today is going to focus on helping you understand more about the various streams within Catholicism, as well as common ground that we share between traditional Catholics and classical Protestants. And uh, the next week, I'm going to have on my friend Ken Samples, who is a theologian and philosopher and also former Catholic. He's done a lot of work in his career interacting with Catholics and Catholic scholars. I find him to be very measured and balanced, and he's going to help us talk about some of the important differences that still separate us as Catholics and Protestants. And I know that many of us have Catholics in our lives and people that we love. And I also know that I get a fair number of letters from people that uh, are followers of mine who struggle with how to think about Catholicism. And my hope is that I can be of some help on this issue once again, I am live, so you can drop your questions in the chat during the live stream, and I'll try to address those as best I can. So make sure to like the, the stream and make sure that you are subscribed. Um, thanks for just even letting me know that you're watching. So good to have all of you here. Amber, I um, sympathize with you. I'm saddened by the lack of Christian charity. I agree. Um, and hope to help us know how to deal with one another charitably in this conversation. So uh, hopefully we'll see how that goes. So if you are watching during the live stream, maybe sure to let me know and you can drop your questions there. Okay, uh, now I recognize, uh, you know, along with Amber's very fine comment there, that there are few topics that are as controversial as the question of just how Protestants and Roman Catholics should think about each other. And uh, to be very transparent, there is no consensus about how to do that on either side of the conversation. There are a spectrum of opinions on one side. There are those Protestants who will charge that Roman Catholicism is a cult. The Pope is the Antichrist. And they're going to be upset in this teaching that I am not just giving a full-blown denouncement of everything Catholic. Uh, likewise, there are Roman Catholic apologists who will go on YouTube and make three-hour videos picking apart good faith discussions by Protestants and paint them in a negative and somewhat ingracious light. And so that's a two-way street. Uh, so we all need to be gracious in our comments toward each other to the best of our ability. On the other end of the spectrum are those who will say that there are basically no substantial differences between Roman Catholicism and historical Protestantism. Uh, one camp views Catholicism as authentically Christian and wants to minimize all differences. They largely ignore doctrinal controversies, uh, particularly ones that sparked the Protestant Reformation, while the other camp is very energetic in its denunciation of Catholicism. And uh, both camps have a tendency to speak uncharitably or even anathematize anyone who's on the other side of the spectrum and say things like they're not real Christians and all of this kind of thing. Um, if anyone is critical of Catholicism uh, in light of the Reformation and talking about our distinctives as Protestants, the ecumenical camp will sometimes accuse that person of being divisive, not supporting Christian unity. In contrast, if one defends certain Catholic beliefs as being authentically Christian and shared throughout Protestantism, 
um, that person is is seen as being a betrayer of the, of the Reformation. And this is why I have avoided the topic for so long, because talking about Catholicism can be a rough and controversial topic. My hope is to present an alternative approach and to help you in your conversations with your friends, no matter where they are in the spectrum, to try to help us to gain an accurate understanding of contemporary Catholicism. We're going to start off by exploring some of the unique sociological features of Catholicism. And then in the second half of the teaching today, we will talk about key beliefs that classical Protestants and and classical Catholics have in common. So this is what we will plan to do with that. Let's start with um, the unity of the church. And there is this common perception that unity of the Catholic church is really of central importance to to Catholicism. And Catholics will frequently cite the church's unity and historical continuity as one of its greatest strengths. So if you've ever talked to a thoughtful Catholic for more than about 10 minutes about their faith, this is the unity of the church is generally a topic that comes up fairly early in the conversation. In fact, Catholic apologists will frequently try to marshal this as an argument that it is the oneness of the church that identifies the the Roman church as the one true and authentic church of Jesus Christ. And it is not uncommon if you talk to somebody who's a convert to Catholicism, that they will frequently identify the unity of the church as one of their central reasons for considering the claims of the Roman church and for joining Catholicism. And I will admit that on the surface, the Catholic Church has fared far better in terms of unity than Protestantism. Protestant, it, I don't think it's a secret or an overstatement to say that we are a very divided group of people. And if we don't like what our current church is doing, we have almost no qualms about going down the street and starting our own church. This is part of the Protestant ethos, in my opinion. It's one of the most one of the more unfortunate aspects of Protestantism. But this strong emphasis on unity within Catholicism um, often leaves people with the impression that Catholicism is a monolith. So wherever you meet somebody flying under the banner of Catholic, that there's a completely uniform belief and practice with everyone pretty much marching to the same tune. But this perception isn't, I don't think, quite as clear as it seems, because the Catholic Church today is diverse. There are a few different streams or kinds of Catholics that you may find in your discussions with Catholic friends and family. Sometimes they can even be sitting side by side um, next to each other in a local parish. And depending on the person, that person may participate in Catholicism in multiple ways and may cross streams depending on their personal beliefs. So let me see if I can offer some helpful ways to organize our thoughts that when we're engaging with a Catholic friend um, to figure out what stream of Catholicism that they're in. And Bob's going to put a graphic on here of kind of the overview of the different kinds of Catholics. There's the ultra uh, traditional Catholics, traditional Catholics, liberal Catholics, charismatic or evangelical Catholics, cultural Catholics, and folk Catholics. And so you might encounter someone and it will be helpful for you to kind of have some mental hooks to know, all right, how do I think about this person? What kind of Catholic are they? So let me break each of these down. Ultra-traditional Catholics consider themselves to be what I'm going to call non-revisionist Catholics. They are fairly critical of the changes that were brought in by Vatican II in the 1960s. And they will often talk about how they wish 
the church would return to its pre-Vatican II state. Uh, They hold to the traditions and the hierarchy of the church in very high esteem, and they would strongly affirm classical classical Catholicism as revealed in the ancient creeds and councils. One of the distinguishing features of ultra-traditional Catholicism, and, and so if you hear somebody talk about this, is they often talk about that they want the mass to go being to go back to being in Latin. That might be a sign that you're talking to someone who's in the ultra traditional stream. I think that actor Mel Gibson would be an example of an ultra traditional Catholic. Now let's talk about traditional Catholics. This is kind of our second uh, bucket of Catholics and. These traditional Catholics take their faith very seriously. They hold to historical beliefs of the creeds and the Catholic catechism. And in many ways, they really make up the backbone of the Catholic Church. Traditionalists uh, tend to be critical of liberalism and modernism coming into the church. But they are also generally accepting of the reforms that are found in Vatican II. These Catholics also are usually socially conservative on issues related to marriage and pro-life issues. So again, those are what I'm calling traditional Catholics. Next is liberal Catholics. Now, liberal Catholics have substantially departed from the faith of traditional Catholicism. And I might say that they've also departed from traditional Christianity as a whole. Now, while liberal Catholics can differ in degree, they they should be thought of as being on a spectrum to the degree to which they depart from classical Catholicism, much like their Protestant, uh, progressive Protestant counterparts, they have conceded much to modernism and postmodernism and incorporated those ideas into their theology. And they have, if I were just to kind of make a gross simplification here, they have replaced the Bible and the church authority with the authority of human reason. So Catholics in this liberal stream, again, are very similar to Protestant progressive Christians. Right, they would have nearly identical beliefs, particularly in terms of social policies regarding birth control, abortion, and homosexuality. Politicians like Nancy Pelosi and Joe Biden would be good examples of liberal Catholics that are in this stream. Now, there's also a subset of liberal Catholics, those who are aligned with liberation theology. And this is particularly popular in Latin America, but you do also find it here in North America. Liberation theology interprets the gospel in terms of liberation from poverty and social oppression and advocates for the reconstruction of society, often using ideas from Marxism and communism. Another subset of liberal Catholics is what might be called the Eastern mystical or new age Catholics. This group, again, we're still flying under the banner of liberal Catholics, the new age or Eastern mystical subset of liberal Catholics seeks to blend Catholic ideas with new age spirituality. Again, this is not terribly different than Protestants who do the same. And this is where popular progressive Christian godfather Richard Rohr would fit in. And this is why there's an easy jump between progressive Protestant Christians and these new age Eastern mystical Catholics. Richard Rohr is kind of that bridge. So Rohr should not be thought of as being a typical traditional Catholic. He is in a particular stream of liberal Catholicism. 
since Vatican II, this liberal camp as a whole has grown significantly, um, particularly within the scholarly ranks of the church. There are many concerns about high-level leaders in the Catholic Church being more influenced by this stream of liberal Catholicism. Next is charismatic or evangelical Catholics. Now, this might be new for some of you, but in the late 1960s and set 1970s, there was a charismatic renewal movement that flourished inside the Roman Catholic Church. And this was kind of the Catholic outgrowth of the Jesus movement. So if you saw like the Jesus Revolution movie um, and, and all of its depictions of the Jesus movement, this it was similar to that, but a, a movement that happened within the Catholic Church at the same time. And like the broader mu- movement of, of charismatic Christianity, charismatic Catholics emphasize the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the importance of being baptized in the Holy Spirit and living a Spirit-filled life. Um, charismatic Catholics tend to be more evangelical in their beliefs. They, they will often emphasize personal faith and trust in Christ, the assurance of salvation. And uh, it's not uncommon for charismatic Catholics to even describe themselves as born-again, spirit-filled Catholics. They will use that kind of terminology. Next is cultural Catholics. If we were just look at raw numbers, this might be a majority of the Catholics, um, if we look at it on a global scale, of the cultural Catholics. This is the group that it, it is unlike the other groups in that their identification as Catholic is by and large mostly cultural or social rather than religious. Um, they're, it's not uncommon for them to be born into uh, Latin American families, Irish, Polish, or Italian families. They've been baptized. They may have even gotten catechized or married and buried in the Catholic Church. But these cultural Catholics usually have little or no concern about spiritual matters. They often don't understand Catholic doctrine. Cultural Catholics often don't aren't concerned about following the specific ethical teachings of the Catholic Church, but they do have an emotional commitment to the Catholic Church. Like they they believe that they are Catholics and it is part of their heritage. They might attend mass one or two times a year. Um, for a family obligation to please their mother or something or on a holiday. But for these kinds of Catholics, cultural Catholics, for them, Catholicism is essentially or mostly about a cultural identity. And they may even be secular or humanistic in their thinking. So if you talk to one of these cultural Catholics, they may not have a firm grasp on what their faith is actually about or what the church actually teaches. They may have a superficial grasp of it. But cultural Catholicism, in my opinion, is not unlike how some Jews relate to their faith as being part of their ethnicity or their culture, but they can be completely secular in their worldview. It is not also very dissimilar to people who might say, well, I'm a Lutheran because I was born in Germany or Denmark, or I'm an Anglican because I'm from Great Britain and I was born into a British family. This kind of cultural connection between religion and um, family ties happens in Protestantism as well. Nominal Catholics, much like nominal Protestants, often do not understand the the details of Christianity. They they might have a superficial kind of familiarity with the plot line and some of the terms, but they they do not have generally a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. 
Finally, we have folk Catholics. And folk Catholics are those found um, a lot in Central South America, the Philippines. And these Catholics tend to be very eclectic in their religious thinking and practice. And folk Catholics will often combine elements of an animistic or primitive religious beliefs that they kind of associate with the forces of nature or the myriads of spirits that are out there in nature. And they kind of put together this syncretistic hodgepodge of medieval Catholicism combined with their local beliefs. And it, it kind of becomes this spiritual smorgasbord where they have this mixture of part Catholicism, part animism and local religions all mixed together. Now, we should be careful to note that the official Roman Catholic Church does not sanction this kind of syncretistic religiosity of mixing and blending Catholicism with local religions. But now here's something that might be a little hard um, of a saying, but in certain respects, I, I do think that the Catholic Church bears a level of responsibility when the in instances where they neglect to discipline their clergy or their clergy are negligent in failing to train their, their people in their parish to reject these forms of paganism and to truly and completely and solely embrace the triune God of Christianity. So, um, Anyway, so those are kind of the major streams of Catholicism. And so you might run into these people. Hopefully this will be a helpful way for you to think about things. Bob's looking at the comments for me to see if there's anything that a lot of comments. Okay. Um, okay. So we'll do a few of those here. All right. Um, is uh, Amber's asking, is there a difference between discernment about theology and loving an individual? I can disagree with the theology, but be in relationship with an individual. Absolutely, Amber. I sure hope so. My, my brother, who I love very much and just spent the day with a couple days ago, is a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I disagree with his theology. I disagree with the theology of his church, but I can definitely love him as an individual, hang out with him. And despite his love for the Dodgers, uh, I'm an Angels fan, um, you know, we can hang out, eat barbecue ribs, and go to the beach together. Absolutely. Um, let's see. Kelly says the Latin Mass Catholics and Novus Ordo Catholics. Yes, those are two different streams. Bishop Barron is one of my favorite Catholics. Yes, Bishop Barron, he would be, thank you for bringing that, him up, Haley. I was trying to think of a good example of a traditional Catholic. Bishop Barron would be a great example of a traditional Catholic. And I'm trying to think maybe, Haley, you know, the other guy is um, Mike, Father Mike somebody. It's with an S. He's got like the number one podcast in religion on Apple Podcasts. And his podcast is very helpful. If you really want to understand Catholic, traditional Catholic teaching, those are great. I think his name is Mike, Father Mike Schmitz. I could be wrong. He's on the Megan Kelly show every so often. But um, so I, I think those are great examples of traditional Catholics and they're very educational. If I really want to understand what traditional Catholicism is and what they believe, um, those are good examples. Okay. Um, all right. All right, I think, um, all right, keep going. My neighbor, oh, go go back down a little bit. My neighbor hates Vatican II, talks about wishing for the Latin mass. Yeah, so she's probably an ultra-traditional Catholic, Kristen. So that would be great. You can have some great conversations with her about, about that and why that is. And I'm sure she is um, a, a fountain of information about that. Um. All right. 
Yeah, non-practicing Catholics. That would be another way of saying a cultural Catholic. Kelly, yeah. Um, Santeria, that is a great example of the folk Catholicism. Thanks for um, putting that in there, Melissa. That would, I should have added that. That's a great example of folk Catholicism in Santeria, which is kind of this mixture of voodoo and Catholicism into some weird mix. Yeah. Um, yes. Okay. Schmitz. Yes. Father Mike Schmitz. That's who I'm thinking of. Uh, he has like the number one podcast on Apple podcast. So it's really up there. Chris Alar is another great. I listen to a lot of father Chris's content on YouTube. He does a lot of teachings. If you really want to understand traditional Catholic apologetics, like as an, like an entry point of how they think about Mary or how they think about different things and what all their arguments are. Father Chris has some great teachings. Now I don't always agree with father Chris there. He has some things that I just don't agree with him on, but he is very helpful in explaining the traditional Catholic view on a wide variety of issues. So thankful. Thank, thank you for those additions. Okay. Facebook. All right. Oh, Alicia says there's a whole group of Catholics that don't know what they believe. Catholic in name only. Yes. Those would be cultural Catholics. That's what I'm calling cultural Catholics. Yeah. And all right. Deborah says 90% of Catholics that I know are probably cultural Catholics. And that's probably true. And so those are people that we would want to have patience with, and we would want to think about them much in the same way as, as Baptists and Presbyterians who show up in Protestant churches for decades and really just don't know what they're doing there, or they come once or twice a year to please their mother on Mother's Day we have these problems too, okay? So and we're, when we're thinking about, you know, how to engage with people, um, you know, making some discernment about, is this person a true believer? Are they a cultural Christian? What kind of conversation am I going to have with them? Okay, now let's move into the second half of the teaching. See how I'm doing on time? Oh, I'm right on time. This is great. Okay, the second half of the teaching. I'm going to talk about areas of common ground that are shared between classical Protestants and traditional Roman Catholics. And we're going to talk about the Nicene Creed, yes, and that is um, an important statement of our mutual agreement. I think that the too often the conversation between Catholics and Protestants quickly jumps to, let's talk about everything we disagree on, okay? That's not helpful. We need to spend some time and till the ground to understand areas of agreement that we have when we share with traditional Catholics. I'm not talking about cultural Catholics or folk Catholics or liberal Catholics, talking about traditional Catholics or ultra traditional Catholics, that we have a mutual commitment and loyalty to the great early creeds of historic Christianity. Now, these creeds attempt to summarize the essence of the Christian faith. And the Nicene Creed is a great example of a creed that is affirmed by all three branches of Christianity, Eastern Orthodox, Roman Catholic, and Protestants. Okay, so the first version of the Nicene Creed was ratified in 325, shortly after Constantine um, made Christianity a legal religion. And then there was a revised version in 381. So if you want to um, look that up, you can do that. We're going to read through the, the Nicene Creed right now really quick in case it's new for some of you. And just to understand um, what, what it's about, what it is that we agree on, what is some common things we share uh, in our belief system. We believe in one God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. So we share with Catholics the idea of there being one God in three persons. They affirm the Trinity just like we do. They affirm that God is the creator of the universe, 
of all things visible and invisible. So invisible would be things like the angels and heaven and hell, and that he has created all things visible and invisible. And in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, consubstantiation with the Father by whom all things were made. Okay, so they believe in the Trinity. They believe in the incarnation. They believe in the full deity of Christ. These are major foundation foundational beliefs that we share with traditional Catholics. Okay. So we have many beliefs in common by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy spirit and of of the Virgin Mary and was made man. He was crucified under Pontius Pilate and suffered and was buried on the third day. He rose again, according to the scriptures and ascended into heaven. He sits at the right hand of the father from there. He shall come again with glory to judge the quick and the dead. And the the quick is an old fashioned word for the living and the dead whose kingdom shall have no end. So they believe that Jesus is the Jewish Messiah and that he came to bring the kingdom of God near Catholics would agree with us on the historical Jesus and the historical events of his life. Again, these are all, wide areas of agreement between us as classical Protestants and traditional historical Catholics. We believe in the Holy Ghost, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and who with the Father and the Son is together, is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. And Catholic is not Roman Catholic. It means universal that there is one, just like it says in Ephesians 4, one faith, one Lord, one one baptism. That's what it's saying here. We acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life in the world to come. So I hope you can see that, that we share many, many beliefs in common. And these are foundational beliefs. These are not secondary beliefs. These are things like the Trinity and God is the sovereign creator and sustainer of the universe and the acceptance of the incarnation. Jesus is the God man and trusting in the historical virgin birth and the attestation of miracles, his atoning death on the cross, the bodily resurrection of the grave, his ascension into heaven, looking forward to the future return of glory, the, the, the coming judgment, the resurrection of humanity. We, they believe in the Holy spirit, just like we do. They believe in the Holy spirit's deity. Um, all of these things are part of the Christian tradition. Now, not mentioned in the Nicene Creed, but but still lurking in the background is that we both share a high view of scripture and affirming the inspiration of the Old and New Testaments. Now, they do add a few books in in, um, the Deuterocanonical Canon, but they don't see them as being equal in authority uh, to the other books. So that's something to take into account. That's my best understanding of their position. Um, for this, um, for these reasons, many Christian apologists, including my friend Ken Samples, who I will have on the show next week to talk about our differences, do not classify Catholicism as technically being a cult because we share these common beliefs. We share this common history and foundation. Okay. Now I understand that. And as I said, at the very beginning, people have differences. There is no consensus among Protestants about how to think about um, Roman Catholicism. I'm giving you my approach and I'm trying to explain to you, you know, some of the why behind that. But in my opinion, evangelical Protestants actually have far more in common with traditional Catholics than they do with liberal Protestants. I have way more in common with a traditional Catholic who really understands their faith. Someone like um, Father Mike Schmitz, I have way more in common with him than I do with the progressive Christian 
at the progressive church down the street. Like we're, we're going to agree on a lot. Now there's going to be areas of disagreement and we'll talk about those next week, but this week we're just focusing on building that strong foundation of here's some things that we do agree on. Um, Orthodox Catholics, I think have much more in common with us as evangelical Protestants than they do with liberal Catholics. I think that Father Mike Schmitz probably has more in common with me than he does with Joe Biden as a liberal Catholic. Um, and both camps of conservative Protestants and, and traditional Catholics, we, we're both facing in our streams the challenge of religious liberalism and, and pushing back against progressive ideas and that are coming against the very essence of Christianity as summarized in the Nicene Creed. And this is why I feel very comfortable linking arms with traditional, Catholic, with traditional Catholics over, in particular, social issues, such as traditional marriage or pro-life advocacy when it comes to public discourse. There is certainly much common ground between us. But this, again, is seldom discussed. So many discussions begin or concentrate almost exclusively on the differences between the two streams of the Christian faith. And here again, I want to clarify, I'm only talking about traditional Catholics and historical or classical Protestants. This is where I see that there are, is a significant amount of degree of agreement. Um, and again, we will look at the fact that there is unquestionably significant disagreement between us, as we'll see on next week's teaching. But the areas of common agreement, I think, are significant. And we should not negate these areas of agreement simply because there do remain serious differences. We can, I think, look at those similarities and differences in a careful way and think about how we can partner together in some strategic ways over social issues and how we can benefit from one another uh, in a scholarly way. An apologist like Dr. Peter Croft, who is a Catholic apologist, and very fine philosopher, uh, I think that many Protestants would do well to interact with his ideas. Tolkien was a Catholic. G.K. Chesterton was a Roman Catholic. These are important voices in the larger stream of the Christian, the historic Christian worldview. But this is really the intersection <laughs> of discernment. And it is important to differentiate between Catholics as individuals and the Roman Catholic Church as an institution. We can talk about Catholic teaching as an official doctrine, as summarized in the creeds and the official Catholic catechism, which we will read extensively from next week. But when you're investigating whether a particular Catholic that you know, uh, where they stand, it's helpful to, to investigate how much do they know about their faith? You know, is this an evangelism conversation? Is this a, a Bible study to try to more excellently understand the scriptures? What is the nature of this conversation? Just as you would do with anyone that you meet, uh, you have to kind of sift through what they know. Just because they call themselves a Baptist or a Presbyterian doesn't automatically mean that they hold beliefs that are consistent with their theological framework. Um, I think that one of the most common mistakes that I see that Protestants make when engaging with Catholics is that they misrepresent what Catholics actually believe. If there was one thing I could tell my Protestant friends, it is please use primary sources when you are talking to Catholics. 
please do not just go use apologetic sources that are written by Protestants. Please go read the Catholic Catechism. Go find out what traditional Catholics actually believe and represent their views careful, as carefully as you can. And that's not to say we won't make mistakes and we could take the correction, but that's why I like listening to some content by people like Bishop Barron or Father Mike Schmitz or Father Chris, because they're going to tell me from a traditional Catholic perspective the best arguments of what they believe. And I can see, oh, we agree on this, this, and this. Oh, and here's where we disagree. All right, now, how does that make me think? I, I You know, we, we often talk about like not straw manning other people's arguments, and that's good. I don't want to straw man other people's arguments, but what I really want to do is iron man their arguments. I want to find their best arguments and make sure I understand them and then wrestle through their best arguments in order to dig and reflect deeper on what I believe and what the Bible teaches. So when we get to the question of what do individual Catholics believe, this is some messy ground, okay? Um, Because as we saw in the first half of the teaching tonight, Catholic individuals may vary in their theological beliefs, as do Protestants. The Catholic you know may not even have a good grasp on what this what they believe. But this is also true of Protestants. Um, many people just in general don't know what they believe or why they believe it. And so let's not be overly critical of Catholics who who struggle to articulate the finer details of their faith because that's a problem on our side of the street too. Um, so my answer to the question of, is my Catholic, a, my Catholic friend a Christian? I would say the answer to that is maybe. It depends on many variables. A couple of the questions that I think are very critical to think about and talk through is what does your friend actually believe And how does that compare to the official beliefs of the Catholic Church? If you're talking to a cultural Catholic or a a Catholic who's uh, kind of calls himself a Catholic, but also is engaging in Santeria practices, okay, that person's probably not a Christian, okay? They're only sort of Catholic adjacent. Um, The critical question is, is your friend putting their faith, hope, and confidence in Jesus alone for their salvation. If your friend is a thoughtful, traditional Catholic and lives consistently with that, you can have some amazing conversations with him or her. And and you will learn a lot and you might be challenged and you might have to go do deeper Bible study um, to, to figure out what you believe and why you're a Protestant. Uh, based on the content that I've seen from Jonathan Rumi, the actor from The Chosen, it seems like he is a traditional Catholic. It seems like he's a fairly and he's fairly informed about his faith. He understands why he believes and what he believes. There are videos on YouTube of him sharing his journey to renewing his Catholic faith. Um, And I know of at least one event where he, he did an event appearance to raise awareness about the persecuted church and Christians overseas. So I, I don't think he's a cultural Catholic. I think he's he's definitely a traditional Catholic. So those are some thoughts about it. Let me pop out to the comments here real quick before we do the wrap. All right. All right. Thank you for acknowledging that it is a Catholic problem, but not only a Catholic co- problem to be cultural only. Yes, definitely. Protestants, we got the those issues too. Okay. Haley says, my Methodist church recites the Nicene Creed every Sunday. Yes. When my husband and I were in the Reformed church, we did the same. Um, I love the Nicene Creed. Cynthia says, it's all of Christianity wrapped up in a nutshell. It's certainly a good, a good, good chunk of it, isn't it? It's a very helpful, helpful creed. Um, I grew up in the restoration movement, so I still bulk at creeds. I need to spend some time learning 
more about them. I was taught they are human in origin, cause divisiveness. Oh, Amber, I'm so sorry to hear that. There are creeds in the Bible, okay? A creed is just simply a summary statement of our faith, and they are only as faithful as they're rooted in the Bible. If you're interested in learning more, I've got three classes on theology where I use the Nicene Creed as like the backbone of it to try to teach students um, the basics of the faith. I see it as a basic summary of our faith. And I love finding scriptures of like, oh, this is a verse. It's actually a summary of this line in the Apostles' Creed. Okay. Um, the Deuter Deuter canon is sacred scripture. It's only different in that it's written in Greek, not Hebrew like the rest of the Old Testament. I know that in the Orthodox Church, it's a different level of authority. I'm not as certain about Roman Catholics, so you might be right, Melissa. Um, let's see. All right, let's keep going. Yes, way too many people just listen to John MacArthur about what Catholicism even teaches. That's, has he ever been to a mass? Study primary sources, not a good source. And I'm going to universalize that comment to beyond John MacArthur to just pick your favorite YouTube preacher, okay? And I see this all the time. And I just want to encourage you, always use primary sources. Take the time to look it up. What do um, any group actually teach what is their official source always go to that first okay um okay keep going that's it okay great um all right anything else on facebook okay great well, I hope you found this helpful and um, I will look forward to bringing you part two of my conversation with Ken Samples. We already recorded that a few weeks ago. It's a wonderful conversation. Ken did such a nice job. We're going to talk about some of the major issues that still divide us as Protestants and why I think that Protestantism matters and um, that there are still issues that divide us. Hopefully I don't end up on a Catholic apologist YouTube channel with a response video. But uh, if I do, I do. Anyways, I hope you found this helpful and I look forward to hearing your feedback about it, particularly if you're a Catholic. Did you feel like I did a fair job? Um, and I'll look forward to hearing from you. Good night, happy Memorial Day, and God bless. Thanks for joining us. Make sure to subscribe to the Theology Mom podcast and add your review. You can also follow Krista at Theology Mom on Facebook and YouTube. Join Krista for more theology adventures on the All The Things show, co-hosted with Monique Dusan. Thanks for listening.